found my son's lecture very helpful this morning. Uh, I think we can't hear enough angles and ways that uh, the law and the gospel uh, continues to work in our in our lives. And I was, as I was thinking about his um, uh, the rules in the household, uh, he's right. You can't uh, you can't have a household without rules, and you can't have people living in community without rules. Uh, but what's interesting, what God has done for us in a most unusual way, as I reflected on Paul's lecture, that there's three families living together in our household, and each family has its own set of rules, but we don't have rules for each other. And Barbara said that what we should do is outdo one another in love as a whole new family comes in to a household. Uh, I, I just really amazed of, of God's grace to enable us. Now, we did start out with one rule, however, and that was maybe um, the, the washroom, who does the laundry uh, from, you know, Karen does it one day, I do it the next day, Barbara does it the next day, and that lasted about a week. And then we decided it wasn't going to work. So if I want to get in the laundry room, I have to fold the clothes in the dryer, put the clothes that are in the washer in the dryer. So then, and my sister, who is also very legalistic and very orderly, uh, likes everything cleared when she does her wash. So we said, well, Barbara, her name's Barbara too, you're going to have to take the clothes out of the washer and fold them. Put the clothes that are in the washer, I mean, put the, the clothes that are in the dryer, fold them, the clothes that are in the washer, put in the dryer, and then you can do your wash. So, it's, um, uh, it, it's just amazing what, what God uh, can do if we really set our hearts to welcome and to love and, and to receive one another. Now, this hopefully will be only a limited time but um, I'm, you know, like four or five months, maybe more, if uh, if they don't get to London uh, in uh, early January. But even so, it uh, it's it's a, just a simply good reminder to me of you can live together if you um, if you set your heart and mind not to let the rules preempt uh, the love for one another. Well, my topic tonight is on the conscience. And um, the, the, big, the big idea of the gospel liberating the conscience. Um, wh- when you grow up in the way I grew up, and everybody has his own patterns of what influences them or what influenced them and what made the impression upon them when they uh, were they growing up. And as I said in my first first time with you that control and order and rules simply dominated the home. And interestingly enough, we never did sit down and say, well, this is how, you know, this is how it should work. But, uh, but that's, that's how we survived <laughs> and coped. And, um, and, and remember when Paul drew that picture this morning of, of our, our self sitting on the throne and uh, the big uh, 
and that that the idols that we have in our life we can't see. Uh, oftentimes, the idols are those very things that work well for us, that get in the way of of Christ uh, just um, you know ruling uh, sovereignly over our lives. Well, this. Uh, this I struggled with in my conscience for many, for many years, not even knowing uh, what was going on. And in 1990, when we were in the New York airport on our way to Nairobi, uh, I, I, I went to the bookstore and I thought, I've just got to read Madeline Beattie's book, Codependency No More. So this lady's pushing lots of buttons. There were two million copies sold. And I just really wanted to, to know what she was saying to women and why they were so, seemed to be so receptive to what she was saying. And the first part of her book, and I don't even think I finished it, but the first part of her book was all about control. And I'd always thought that my sister uh, had a codependent relationship with my mother, but I never saw the issues of control as, as in that. And the lights just went on. And the idol was toppled, and the the uh, and I just just in the middle of this airport, waiting for our uh, flight to be called, just repented in my heart for uh, for all the ways that I related to uh, to all that God was sending in my life, and and even to God in in the area of control. And and you know, and I was free. I mean, it was just it was just amazing. I just kept saying to Jack, "Gee, Jack, listen to this, listen to this." You know. Well, the liberty and freedom I felt in my conscience. You know, it was like dancing and laughing. You know, I was like Sarah holding Isaac. I was. Uh, who would have thought, as she said, that uh, Sarah would have had a baby in her old age? Well, what the effect of that of the freedom. Of that uh, was 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 very interesting, and I just want to want to share it briefly with you. We were uh, flying to Amsterdam, and then from there to Nairobi in this big, big you know, seven forty seven plane. And we were in the center of of the plane, and our seats were Jack was at the aisle, and I was here, and uh, it was just after the Gulf War, and the Hasidic Jews were returning to Jerusalem. So the plane was full of them. And this young Jewish man was sitting right next to me. So I said to Jack, uh, that's trade seats, so you can talk to him. And Jack said, no. <laughs> you talk to him. <laughs> I like the aisle so I can stretch my legs. <laughs> so, so I thought, oh, all right, I guess I better start talking to him. Well, they, it was so interesting. They were all over the plane, and they were talking to one another, and they were talking about the food, and, and they were all excited. And so I, I after you know everybody settled down, I, I, I asked him where he was going. He said he was going back to Jerusalem, and they were they were all students. And I uh, I said, "What do you do? What do you study?" You know, and he said, "Well, he studied the Old Testament." And then I said, um, "Oh, you know, I really love the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, my favorite people." And then I asked him about his rules and regulations, and were there a lot, and was it hard and oppressive? All all of this and. Asked him if, uh, and, and then he responded, and actually it was kind of an interesting uh, exchange. 
I asked him if he'd ever read Isaiah 53, if he knew what it was about. And he said, uh, he said no. Well, this took off and on uh, quite a while because he was still talking to all his friends. And then, you know, the food comes and the movie comes and then you sleep. And so I, but you know, the spirit kept nudging me. And, Rosemary, you're not through yet. You've, you've got to say more. So, um, so then finally I just said to him when, you know, when I was getting ready to, um, when the flight was just about through, I said, well, I asked him about the, the, the commands of God in the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy. I said, what do you do with that command to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and your neighbor as yourself? And then he said, ah, that's just an emotion. And that was it. So uh, then when he left, I just, uh, I said, I really would like you to read Isaiah 53. Well, that was of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jack's the one who witnesses. Jack has all the stories to tell. You know? I have about one a year. But, but it was so interesting to me that it came after this freedom from this, this bondage of this sin of seeing that I, somehow I have, I have to be in, in control of my life. And I studied, now this is, an ex- this is uh, ladies and gentlemen, not an exhaustive study on the conscience. I hope my, my being here is more of a window for you to understand more of God's ways and, and God's grace. But I did look at 1 Timothy uh, 1. Actually, I read to, uh, today all through 1 Timothy. I was amazed at how many times Paul talks to Timothy about keeping a good conscience. And here's a man who's going to be a pastor, and or is a pastor. And, and so this was very important to Paul. This is very important. And, and so he, uh, even in 1 Timothy 1, 4 and 5, he's, he's telling him to avoid false teaching, teachers and getting involved in endless controversies and stuff like that. And he said, uh, God's work is by faith. And the goal of this command to live a life of faith uh, and not, not to indulge in false doctrine, he says, this love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I don't think you can understand how to love another person unless that conscience is a good conscience. It's a clean conscience. If it's living under the authority of the, of, uh, of the sovereign God uh, and of, of, the, of the power of the gospel, I, I, just, I just don't think you can. And, uh, and that source of love, uh, as you know, is, is, is Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is, is love. So uh, when, when, that, when the love of Christ then flows into the heart, and that's what I felt for that young man. I really, I just was, I mean, I'm sure, I, you know, looking back, I could have made things clearer. But, but, but just the fact that I would just want to reach him, I wanted to reach his heart, was, was simply the conscience being freed so that I could, could reach out in, in love to him. Um, just some thoughts about the law. You know, the law is commandment, and it's, it's a beautiful vision of how we should all live together. I mean, if we all perfectly kept the law of God, uh, we wouldn't have any 
police or courts or, or anything, would we? But, um, but it tells us how to live, but doesn't have the power to change us. And on this paper that uh, we're going to pass out to you, Jack has written, uh, it, 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 it says what they have in common and what the law is and what the gospel is. And I think as those thoughts and ideas become more um, quicken your mind and your heart, I think it will help you all. Uh, I hope, especially I'm thinking to the women. I think sometimes we tend to have problem, conscience problems more than maybe the men do. But the law requires absolute perfection. And the reward, if you live perfectly, you will have life won't you and if you don't there is death and so then the gospel then and not the law you don't want the law over your conscience you want the law written on the heart so that you can obey God and please God but the gospel then on the conscience is is what Jesus has done when we believe that then we live don't we isn't and uh and we do have a sub. The law has no substitute, and Jesus is our substitute. And we have new life because of Christ's obedience and because his death on the cross for our disobedience and taking the wrath of God. And then we have the promise of the Spirit leads to uh, the fulfilling of the law. And now the Spirit works in our heart. You see that what, what Paul was saying this morning, how important that faith and the Spirit and, and love is, and to keep that straight. And then we are going to love our neighbor, and then we are going to fulfill uh, fill the law. But there's always problems, aren't there? Uh, if we move the center of our life under the gospel, under its acceptance, under its forgiveness, under its power, if we move away from that... Uh, then, then you're going to have conscious, conscience problems. And oftentimes, one of the first ways we move away from it is by really living for people's approval. It is so easy to do it, and it's so subtle. And, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to just be obnoxious, but neither in your heart do you want to live and move and act and and talk as if you wanted that person to think you're something really special. It is. I'm just going to give you an example. And Bob Paul writes in First Galatians. I, I mean, in First Galatians, Galatians one ten. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men. I would not be a servant of Christ. And that was so deep in his heart. And this was Peter's problem, wasn't it? As Paul mentioned this morning, he was afraid. He wanted to please men. And he took Barnabas down that road with him until Barnabas didn't have a clue as to what was going on. Well, in in this um, trying to please men... uh, we, we uh, or even trying to please ourselves or trying to live up to our own standards of perfection. Uh, we, uh, I was just in Washington D.C. and talked to the uh, wife of one of the pastors there, and she said, "This is a yuppie group up here, and these women are all trying to be perfect mothers." 
perfectly catechized, perfect, just perfect, 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 perfect. And she said, and we talked together about this, she says they're just setting themselves up for, for uh, so much pain and so much suffering because you can't do it. You know, you can't do it. The Spirit has, has, has got to teach you how to be good parents and good mothers and good uh, fathers. But we struggle there. You know, we, we let other people set standards for us. And we struggle for our reputation. We struggle for appearance. And, and you do. You just set yourself up for either success where you start to boast or failure where you end up in despair. And gospel doesn't have any power there because it's never going to be enough. I mean, I know. Uh, you hear something good and then you want more. Don't you? I mean, uh, it's, just, it's, it's just a sin that, uh, that, you, you, um, that you want to avoid at all costs. There was a, a couple years ago, there was an article in the paper in uh, North Carolina. We were there. And there was a woman who had a pet python. And uh, she was feeding it gerbils. I guess that's the food that they eat. And it started to, she, she had her arm out with feeding gerbils, and that started to come up her arm. So somehow, I guess she was able to call 911. I don't know, but she did. And they come rushing into the door, into the house, and they see this lady with this python, and she's screaming, don't kill the snake, don't kill the snake. And the guy said afterwards, the snake was killing her, and she's telling us not to kill the snake. <laughs> they could well, you know, that approval, that, that loving people's approval is like that snake. And it'll... Well, let me tell you what happened to me. And uh, this is... Uh, we were in Uganda with Bob and Karen and their little girl. And it was a hard place to live. We were in a house and we were all living there together with a, a young Ugandan and also with a young man who came out to start the painting company. And uh, we had a house with no, uh, we all lived together, and there's a house with no water, and it was a long ways away from, uh, from the store, and we had to go in, on, in and out of the Matatus, and it was, it was, it was hard living there. Um, and so we came there and gave uh, Karen and Bob an opportunity to go into Nairobi to get some R&R. So when they were gone, uh, in the meantime, I, uh, this young Ugandan and I became pretty good friends, and he came to us and he said, uh, he said, uh, uh, somebody, I, have, uh, I have a debt that I have to pay, and the man is really getting vicious. For, uh, will you help us pay the debt? So I said, uh, yeah, I said, um, we'll help you pay the debt, uh, but why don't we just uh, get this house cleaned up together, and then you can work off the debt that way. So that was fine with him. And, they were gone for a week, and we had the painters come in and paint and clean and washed all the clothes and even baked banana bread on a little toaster oven. And we were having a pretty good time. Talked about Galatians, and so he and I became pretty good friends. And um, when the Heppies returned, I, I really wasn't even conscious of this, but I still I still kept telling him what to do, and he stepped doing it. <laughs> so Sunday morning comes. And, and Bob sees this, and uh, he sends Karen to t talk to me, and he said, stop treating uh, Gray like a houseboy. Well, I was crushed. I was just crushed. I just, 
But why was I so crushed? Because my whole motivation through this whole thing was to please them. And I, and, and I didn't please them. I started to cry. I mean, not in front of them, but then, and we were on the way to church, and Jack says to me, you're dripping with guilt, and that was all I needed to hear. Of course I was dripping with guilt. <laughs> that, was very revel- that, was, that was quite a revelation to me to see how if you just live for people's good impressions of you and for their goodwill toward you um, and then you don't get it then uh, then you're in trouble and that conscience needs to move out from under that uh, that load and and come to uh, come to Christ now I think if uh, that was back in 82 uh, hopefully I've grown some then I think if I had if that had happened now I would just uh, you know, I would be able to speak to him directly about it. and But I couldn't at that time. So, you know, you do grow in your ability to, to talk to people. And later on, I could talk to him about it. But it was just the initial, uh, that just that one statement that just, that just was so totally crushing. And I just, uh, that poor little conscience just had to move back under the gospel. Or it just would just be, you know, as Jack said, dripping with guilt. So... Um, but, but that approval, and I don't know whether you people struggle with it as much as I do. I think the perfectionists and the legalists, which, you know, those addictions that I have, uh, are harder to deal with uh, than, than almost any other because, because they're so subtle and because they do work, you know. So, um, uh, one, so uh, one of the um, points in your outline is... Um, is uh, that that when we start to live for people's approval, then the, then the conscience is just you know, it's going to be a noisy conscience. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, another way that we miss miss uh, putting the conscience back under uh, what pleases the Father is uh, well anyway what doesn't please the Father if we really don't love our our neighbor as ourselves not. Loving us, and and you know sometimes, and I, I find this more and more frequently as um, as parents get older, uh, and the tensions between husband and wife, how to take care of older parents, uh, how that fits into uh, to the to the command to take care of our older older parents. Uh, I think that's going to be an increasing conscience problem for people. I've talked to women who feel very strongly they should take care of their mother and move her into the home, and then that that so absorbs all her energies that she doesn't have time for her husband. And and so, um, so I'm bringing this up because I think it's something that probably maybe some of you are already dealing with and 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 may even de- deal with in the future. Um, my mother uh, lived, they moved, uh, we, we moved from San Francisco to the East Coast. And my mother uh, and father and sister uh, moved in 1965. We had a separate apartment in our house, so it worked out. And then my father died in 71. 
and then my mother and sister kept living in this apartment and uh, she was uh, until she was 99 so as you can see I've taken, I took care of her for and last year she was getting uh, much more difficult she couldn't really function uh, in the, in the kitchen anymore so we had quite a few problems with that like fire and all that kind of stuff <laughs> but in uh, in 19 but what happened was that when Jack had his cancer and recovering from it and my mother was still in the home and had broken her hip and here I was taking care of my husband and taking care of my mother and my retarded sister. And it was a crushing load. But you know that those same strategies of, yeah, I can do it, I can handle it, were still there. So uh, so we, we were in Spain at the time with a team <laughs> with um, ministering to, to gypsies. And we just taught, we'd heard, oh, they'd called us from home and said that, mother had broken her hip and they called us and uh, we Jack says well don't you think it's about time to put mother in a nursing home and so I said oh yeah sure I think it's about time well when I got back and we mentioned it to our children they were horrified so here I was caught between what Jack's needs and my mother's needs and the opinions of my children. And they were very strong. Uh, one, we have five children, and one said it was time for her to go into the home. But I just, uh, you know, they just felt that we could handle it, and I think that that's the impression that through the years we did give our children that, yeah, we can handle it. And we couldn't, and neither could I. And it, uh, as you can imagine, the tensions that rose between Jack and me. And one day, I just put my head down on the table, the big oak dining room table, and I just cried. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. My conscience is pressured beyond, you know, if you'd have told me, uh, preach the gospel to yourself, I wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have known what to do about it. And it was just like, you know, God just picked me up by the back of the neck and said, you know what to do. Put your mother in a nursing home. But, you know, I knew then that that was, that was the right thing I'd heard from heaven. And my conscience was clean. It was clear. <coughs> and it didn't matter then to me what the children thought. It was interesting. A couple of weeks later, we had to go someplace, and Barb had to take care of my mother. And by the time we got back, she said, Mom, this lady's got to go in a nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> then we, had to, then we uh, took my mother over to Karen's for a weekend because we were going away for the weekend, and we left her, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't stay. Mom, this lady's got to go in a nursing home. <laughs> well, God... But one by one, they they saw how that. But you see the see again. I was just being pulled in to who am I going to please? Jack, my mother, my children, 
I, you really have to you really have to hear from heaven or uh, or it's it's just not gonna it's just not gonna work and then you know then I was free I mean my conscience was free I knew what I had to do and in the providence of God we got her in a nursing home um, um, one mile away in a lovely church home and they've just taken wonderful care of her so now we say not when she dies but if she dies 103 <laughs> I think Barbara's already wiping the sweat off her brow about what's going to happen to me <laughs> taking care of me <laughs> you know another way that our conscience gets disturbed and noisy is being accused by Satan. You know, in Revelation 12.10, he says he's the accuser of the brothers who accuses us, says them, but that's us, before our God, day and night. And he's doing it. And he knows how to, he knows how to do it. He knows how to get at us. If our heart isn't filled with love and it isn't under the umbrella of the gospel, uh, he's, he's going to get at our conscience. You know, as I was growing up through the years, through many years, living with my mother, when she, she'd hear voices and she'd respond to the voices, you know what the voices said to her all the time? You accuse yourself. You accuse yourself. That's what I heard, the drumbeat of accusation all the time. And you know, through the years, without even thinking about it, there was just that low level of accusation on my conscience. And finally one day I said to Jack, Jack, I really think this comes from my mother. And it really isn't me. And, and so, so we just prayed together and asked Jesus to recognize the source of it and just, um, uh, just didn't have anything more to do with it. Recognized the source and, and rejected it. You know, it goes on to say in Revelation 12 that they overcame him. All these accusations, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And if you don't set yourself to, to fulfill the law of love, then you, are, you, you set yourself up for Satan's accusations. <clears throat> and you know what happens? Ladies, I don't know if you do this, but you'll tend to say, I've got to do more. You know, I've got to uh, pile on more laws, make more lists, have more goals, read more books, do more praying, have a program that's going to help me out of this. You know what Hebrews says? <laughs> we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And those control issues for me were dead works. They, don't, they just produce. There's no power. There's no life. There's no um, authority in them. Well, how do we keep, maintain an ongoing uh, conscience? Well, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, there's this interesting verse about cultivating the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And you've heard about the Holy Spirit through this week. You heard Jack speak about it this morning. You heard Paul talk about it. Uh, that spirit of... Uh, this is the spirit of sonship, spirit that cries, Abba, Father, the spirit that produces in us those fruits that we really all long for. Now, one day I said to Jack, why isn't faith the fruit of the spirit? And you would think, we'd tell you, we know it. 
If you want to please God, what does he say in Hebrews 11? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so Jack, Jack said the faith connects to Christ. If you want to think of it as a tree with the roots of the tree going down to where Christ is and then the new life coming up into the branches and, and bearing the fruit. So he, um, so you know, back in, in Galatians 3, he says, uh, he keeps saying, did you, uh, did you do miracles because you believe the law or believe what you heard? You believe the gospel. Oh, the, the spirit is the one then that can, that can penetrate through, uh, through the, the, the excuses and the blame shifting and the approvals of life, uh, the, where the thirsts are, and bring, bring it out into the open or bring it up so that you can really get rid of it and, ta- and take it uh, to, to Jesus for cleansing. Um, I lived for many, many years with just this low level of just guilt. And, and, and it took me a long time to discern that often those wormy feelings were just not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and he comes with deep conviction and he says, Rosemary, here's where you live and here's where you approve of men. Uh, now let's get rid of it and let your conscience be under, under God's approval. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I... Um, before we started, oh, I just in the middle of when we were taking people into our home, uh, Jack had a pastorate out in <clears throat> in Bucks County, uh, north of uh, where we were living. And uh, we came out one Sunday afternoon, uh, one Sunday evening after the church service, and they were discussing the parable, uh, Luke eleven one to thirteen, the uh, friend at midnight, and uh, the discussion centered about. Uh, that what we need more than anything else is the bread of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for it every day, and we need to keep on asking. And as we keep on asking, then our hearts and minds are fed with, uh, with, uh, with what we need. And I remember thinking, well, that could never happen to me. And it took me years to finally come to the place where I saw how absolutely needy I was every day for the Holy Spirit to just come fill my heart, uh, show me my sin, show me Christ so I can get rid of my sin and orchestrate my day so that, so that the day is under his control and not under mine. Now, that doesn't mean I don't make plans, that I don't organize my time. Uh, yeah, sure, you do all that. But if the Spirit isn't in it, uh, convicting and leading and teaching and teaching how to love... Then, then it could just be another uh, a dead work. Um, the, the, our feelings will often tell us that something is wrong, but the spirit will always tell us what what the uh, what the uh, what the real what the real problem is. And I just want to close with just reading a passage uh, in uh, in First John three. 316 and have to just and, and it has to do with the, with the conscience 
This is how we know, or this 360, this is how we know that love is, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, not a spot love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Isn't that a marvelous... And then he goes on to say, Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Setting our hearts at rest. The fruit of the Spirit is that love. Just to close with two illustrations, um, one from 1 Samuel 25. Abigail is one of my favorite ladies in the Bible. We have a little Abigail living with us, and we named her after this Abigail. You know the story of her husband, Nabal? Uh, and I, just the reason I'm telling you this story is because because of what you really know about Christ and his kingdom, what he's doing in this world, can really motivate you to love another person. Well, David was in the wilderness with all his men, and they were a ragtag army. They'd been protecting Nabal's sheep, and it came sheep-shearing time, and they asked, sent men up and asked Nabal for food because it was a fest- festival time, too. And, uh, and Nabal refused refused to give them any food. And he said, who's this David? Who's this David? And Abigail hears this, and she knows who David is. So she gathers all this food, puts it on the donkeys, and takes it down to David. And she meets him. And, oh, David, oh, sorry, I missed something. You probably know the story. But anyway, David said, this is it, guys. You're all going to... You're going to all be dead meat by tomorrow morning. And uh, she hears this and, and, and goes to meet him. And she, uh, and she has this marvelous, marvelous passage of just humbling herself before the Lord. But this is what she says. Um, she says, I know that your, your life is bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. And the lies of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And then listen. When the Lord has done for my master, David, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader, leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. She loved David. She loved that kingdom. And she didn't... What, what an amazing thing to say. I don't want you to be God's representative with a staggering burden of needless bloodshed on your head. What a woman. Just, uh, well, you know the end of the story. Uh, she tells Nabal what's going to happen, and he gets a stroke, and ten, laters, ten days later he's dead, 
And David hears about this and sends, uh, sends for Abigail to be his wife. And if you read the passage, she doesn't spend too much time packing. She's up and out. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a lady. What a lady. But you see how, how her love for the kingdom and how her love for God led her to do what she did and say what she did. That's, that's a lady with a good conscience. I would uh, commend to you again uh, uh, to read um, Psalm 51 and 32. You see David laboring under this terrible burden, <laughs> staggering under that burden of, of, of a conscience that's heavy with real guilt, uh, murder and adultery and yet when he comes to this confession in Psalm 51 he, uh, he doesn't even talk about murder and adultery he said against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in my sight cleanse me in the deepest deepest reaches of my life so that uh, so I can stand again before you clean purge me with hyssop I shall be clean Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's the conscience under the gospel. We do sin. There is a Savior. The blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament just looked forward to what Jesus could did. He says in Hebrews, they couldn't cleanse the conscience. But we have a high priest that's gone into the heavenlies, and there that blood speaks for us. And then we can go with our poor, weary hearts, and lay again at rest all of our sins, knowing the present power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the blood of Jesus. I want to thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to cut through all of the garbage that often, so often, just reaches up and stops and topples my conscience until it's just a load unable to bear. I thank you again and again that you have come in and have done for me what I was unable to do. I thank you for uh, for uh, the the way that the Spirit then comes and convicts and counsels and teaches and always brings us back to the resting place. In Jesus' name, amen.